yeah, you are correct. My right ankle has cadaver tendons in it. Yeah. Ligaments, I think, is actually the technical term. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I tore all my tendons, so then it got to where I didn't have any tendons to hold my ankle pretty much straight. So if I did anything with it, it was at the risk of shattering all my bones. So they just went in and gave me the fake tendons, and are I don't know. Fake? Wait, is there? It's real. Well, they're, they're real. I'm sorry. They're just okay. from a dead person. I have real ligaments. They're just from. But a dead But they're still person. living. Yeah, they are now. You they have are, a person inside. Of I you. have a. <laughs> Part of another person inside of me. <laughs> Maybe. And not temporarily either. It's just a whole permanent thing. We are dedicated oh, to it at this gosh. point. We've spent, gosh, 10 years together now. We're very Whoa. intimate with one yeah, another. Yeah, that is a relationship. That is a really nice, committed relationship. Mm -hmm. All right. So keep us from getting on that love train for an hour like <laughs> last time. <laughs> Welcome to Ghost Riders Anonymous, an interactive and inspirational podcast where we create worlds through words and writing. Max isn't here today, but we have a guest speaker. So when we introduce ourselves, I want you to create your ideal winter scene. For example, mine would be a bright moon over a sloping snowy landscape with hoot owls hooting to one another and they're only silhouettes. I love that. I'm Chandra. I'd have a snowy landscape, but it's out in the woods. There's a lot of evergreen trees. There's a mountain in the background and a nice cozy log cabin with a roaring fire, cozied up with a nice warm blanket and a cup of mulled wine. Which we're actually drinking. My name is Amanda. My perfect winter scene would definitely be a very log cabin-esque situation. Starry night, panoramic views, all windows, have some deer, some wildlife going outside doing their thing, Christmas lights up, maybe some hot cocoa, good book, crackling fire, the whole thing. Colored Christmas lights or the white ones? The white ones are so classic. Yes, they're timeless. I agree. I feel like the other ones, they're not that they're bad, but they're more of a kitty kind of feel. Yeah, they're pretty. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. inviting. So today we're going to talk about some fables. And traditionally a fable has to do with personified animals. Mine has actual people in it, but I do believe it's a fable in so much that hard lessons are learned in it. So I'll basically just give a whole overview of what that story is. And then I might read fun excerpts. What is it you're talking about today? I grew up with something called Aesop's Fables, which is probably the most common and most widely known. Mm -hmm. We had this old time hardcover book and it was thick, 100 page easy. And I think it was the full collection. And I remember reading those a lot as a kid. So some of the ones that I remember the most is the flies and the honeypot and the wolves and the sheep. Well, do you want to go first? Do you want to go second? And we're just going to have Amanda hop in whenever. Yeah. yeah, I don't have a plan. I'm just riding by the coattails. Yeah, just ride. It'll be fun. I'm along for it. I'm good. Okay, great. Well, I'll start then. I really like the flies and the honey. It, it is a really good lesson to keep in mind no matter how old you are as a kid or as an adult. A jar of honey was upset, and the sticky sweetness flowed out on the table. The sweet smell of the honey soon brought a large number of flies buzzing around. They did not wait for an invitation. No, indeed, they settled right down, feet and all, to gorge themselves. The flies were quickly smeared from head to foot with honey. Their wings stuck together. They could not pull their feet out of the sticky mass, and so they died, giving their lives for the sake of a taste of sweetness. Be not greedy for a little passing pleasure. It may destroy you. Do you think it's almost along the same lines as a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush? I've never understood that saying. You have one solid hang on, full grip, go home now, or you could take the risk and try to grab the ones that are in the bush. Like an all or nothing situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they could get away. It's sort of like, are you going to roll that last Farkle die or are you going to pass <laughs> to the, to the left? Yeah. <laughs> For the older audience out there, or if you're just really young and hip and play Farkle. <laughs> and super cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The 
risk it for the biscuit saying kind of follows that too. Are you willing to risk that one for the two? Because that's a greater reward. In this instance, it's quite literally telling you, be careful for losing sight of the main I think that grass is green on the other side situation because I think that a lot of risks are worth it. It just depends on what kind of risk it is and what you're willing to lose. The other person seems like a good idea and then you are tempted and then you do the thing that you're not supposed to be doing and then obviously it's a problem and then you lose everything because you didn't listen to what you knew was better. Your eye is drawn. Are you going to act on it kind of thing? Yeah. Be not greedy for a little passing pleasure. Quite literally, don't be tempted. Well, because that's what all of our generation is. Quick buck, quick pleasure. We're so used to that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Even saying it like that was kind of a thirsty trap. I know, exactly. (laughs) Tantalizing. Did you like it? (laughs) You gotta talk like that for the smut edition. Oh, you have to read your whole like story like that now. Mm. Like very whispery. I should. I think that'd be really I don't know. It might give me problems. (laughs) It's like almost like an ASMR kind of thing. Yeah. So go ahead with your second one. Unless there's more you wanted to add to that. No, I feel like it's pretty short and sweet and to the point. The flies also thought it was sweet. Yeah. (laughs) Until it no longer was. I was going to say until they didn't. Right. When they, I think the honey stopped being worth it when they realized that it was their doom. Isn't that mostly how it is, though? Yeah. When the you thing realize that you thought was worth it, and then you find out what you're losing, and the actual loss is happening, yeah. it's no longer worth it. I think that, like, we were talking about infatuation versus love one day, and I think that is kind of one of those big things, is that infatuation's fun until Those it's are hard not. lessons to learn. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. The wolves and the sheep. A pack of wolves lurked near the sheep pasture, but the dogs kept them all at a respectful distance, and the sheep grazed in perfect safety. But now the wolves thought of a plan to trick the sheep. Why is there always this hostility between us, they said. If it were not for those dogs who are always stirring up trouble, I am sure we would get along beautifully. Send them away and you will see what good friends we shall become. The sheep were easily fooled. They persuaded the dogs to go away, and that very evening the wolves had the grandest feast of their lives. The lesson is do not give up friends for foes. I think your two fables go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. There's so much to be said for loyal friends. And I don't think that you realize that until you have loyal friends and you've learned the difference between the two. But I feel like that's a pretty big life lesson to learn, too. I think it also tells you to not be fooled purely by words Mm -hmm. or images. Mm -hmm. All in all, what separates the dogs from the wolves? Because they're both very similar. They can look very similar or have the same basis, but it ultimately comes down to actions and their true nature, which is what the sheep were fooled into believing was the same when it wasn't. Or even illusionists or flattery or speaking well. and Just that face, like that mask that everybody wears out. There's so many people out there that are themselves at home, but then when they go out and they meet people, they have that facade that they want to carry and hope that people see them for, and then you get to know them and intimately, and they're not that person at all. Which I think it could go either way. I think the difference is you could have a work self or a home self or a social self but then i also think it goes back to the intent behind it that's true is there malice or not is it you just putting on armor for a job different situations can bring out different sides of people but there's still a foundation of who you are as a person your characteristics your morals and things like that those should be the foundation of you no matter what situation you're in they shouldn't change just because you're at work or not at work or whatever yeah Well, and no matter what you do, who you are foundationally as a person, that doesn't change. Correct. You can pretend to be a great person, but if you're rotten on the inside, it's going to show. It's going to show. Eventually. Eventually, yeah. I agree. I believe that I have 
a very core personality that's always been there from childhood. Do you think that everyone has a core personality that they were born with that as they grow, it either blooms or maybe certain parts of that personality are trimmed down a little bit to create further growth, just like you would trim a bonsai tree? Or mm-hmm. I think there's a big role between nature and nurture, which has always been a spark of debate in science, especially genetically and how people turn out or even animals' behavioral stuff. But I think that we're all born, not a blank page, but we have somewhat of a broad image. Mm-hmm. And then our environment is what fills it in with colors or shapes or sizes and things like that. I think we as a person are like a painting that's always in In progress and motion. I read something the other day, something along the lines of what you did to survive has to change in order for you to survive. Sometimes I feel like people become a new person to get through high school or college or just any kind of stepping stone in their life where they have to change a little bit to become what they need to be to get past through things that life makes you have to do. And then in order for you to go back to yourself, you thrive and be the person that you're meant to be you go back to your old self in a way. So I think that people go through seasons and changes. Even though you're still you deep down, you might have a different side of you that's a little bit more in the forefront of your life. Maybe you take on this personality that you need, that's required of your environment, but you pull from that core personality. Yeah, I think everybody has. Anytime that you have a moment where you're like, man, this is trialsome for me. Anything that goes on in your life that isn't an easy feat. Again, Mm -hmm. whether that's high school, sometimes that's the hardest thing for people. High school in general, or just college, or their career, relationships, or things like that. You have to become different people sometimes through those. But Mm -hmm. you don't change who you are fundamentally. And anytime you are made to, it doesn't last. It's like like an adaption. Splinters, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it can really create a catalyst But then sometimes you find really cool things about your new self that you've created that maybe you do really like and you want to keep and you can make the person that you want to be because a lot of things I think are you seeing people out in the world and like wow I really like the way that they treat other people or I like the way that they carry themselves or things like that and a lot of times you can still create the person you want to be while still being the person you were. Somebody explained it to me once imagine yourself your person your passion your personality as a fire and what do you use to fuel fire? A lot of people say wood, but you can also use coal, you can use paper, you can use cardboard. Fire will consume anything, but sometimes it's fleeting, sometimes it's Mm -hmm. lasting, sometimes it changes the color and the heat Mm -hmm. of the fire, sometimes it'll make it just go out if you put Mm -hmm. water on it. Not everything that you can add to yourself is good, and it all propels you differently. That's actually a really good way to put it. It's a nice perspective. I like that. I like that too. Thanks. You reminded me of throwing old Christmas wires on the fire and they turn colors. Have you yeah. ever seen that? Yeah, yeah like That's whatever, the, like you get like blue flames and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like purple or green. Mm-hmm. We don't have trash men out in the sticks. So we would always burn our trash. Oh, wow, that flame was a different color or whatever, just because of whatever was burning in it. And I know this sounds terrible for the environment. Please don't hate me. Well, it's happening out there. Yeah. It is, yeah. it is. I mean, like I said, it's not like you have trash men out there in the, right. like, those areas, but still. We did a fun experiment in science where they would get all these different elements and set it on fire and see how it would be different. Mm -hmm. And my favorite, it turned the flame purple because purple is my favorite color. And I cannot for the life of me remember what it was. I still to this day (laughs) love fire and just seeing how it reacts to different things. Wow, how enlightening. But anyway, so the story that I'm going to read today, call it a fable, not call it a fable, I'm really pushing for that it is. It has to do with death and crossing over. And so we're revisiting the Book of Flying by Keith Miller. We had talked about it on episode three, Poetry. So we're going at it again. Pico, the protagonist, is traveling. He's on a hero's journey. And at this particular part in the book, he is in a desert and he's been in the desert for a long time. And he's on the edge of the desert. He was following this stream and there's vegetation. 
But then it reaches a point where he has to deviate and go into the actual desert. So he's been out for a long time and he finds himself upon a well. And at that well, he ends up meeting a lady and he calls her beautiful. And she said that she's only a shadow of her beauty that she used to be. And she comes from a town south of where they're currently at, which is called the City of Flowers. And everything there is about beauty. I wouldn't call it narcissistic so much as these people pride themselves on beautiful things. They're into flowers. They grow flowers. There is a florist there that everyone pays handsomely to decorate their homes with, their landscaping with. And what's interesting is while this woman, her name's Aya, A-I-A, she's very pretty. This florist is very ugly and they describe him and they describe her. And that's what I'm going to read to you guys because you need to hear it. This florist is so good at what he does and he grows flowers at his own house, but he also grows them alongside weeds, which the town is not all about that, but they turn a blind eye to it because they essentially require his floral arrangements. And the neat nuance to that is they liken him to a weed amongst the flowers. So he created this garden. he creates beauty. He creates beauty, but he... I think that's why he allows weeds to grow in his yard alongside the flowers because maybe he himself feels like a weed. So this really beautiful woman, Aya... He is infatuated with her, but he goes about it differently. And he asks her very tastefully, would you mind if I created a bouquet for your private chambers? And that way you can sleep amongst this beautiful arrangement. And she said, okay, that's fine. And so then over the time of him decorating her chambers, she would speak with him and she learned that she really loves talking with him. And she loves talking with him more than anybody she ever had. And so they reach this emotional connection and she starts to feel this tug of love for him. Well, people sense that and they chastise her like oh you love this hideous because he's a weed Ah. so they're like oh you really like this hideous man so then she acts out and she treats him very ugly outwardly so people can see that and drives him away because she's ashamed that they're catching on yes exactly so she pushes him away and she realizes then that she loves him because of how heartbroken she is that he doesn't come by anymore because she basically told him not to. So she was trying to devise a plan on how to bring him close again, but still save face. He has this cart that he pushes around, he'll sell flowers on. And so she's with her parade of friends that aren't really her friends. They're just people who want to ride the coattails of her beauty. They themselves are beautiful, but she's just the prettiest of all. She comes up to him and she says, would you like to kiss me? And he says, yes. And so she said, you can kiss me if you procure the most rare, beautiful flower you can find. And she was pulling from a conversation that he and her had had privately about a flower that grows in the Valley of Death. And it's a legend because no one can trace back to any person who has been able to see it. Or at least is alive to say that they've seen it. Exactly. Exactly. Because essentially to skip ahead a little bit. Here's a spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. I've not you, read this book yet. No, oh, no. yeah, it's you okay. need to. It's okay. Well, it's just this book is compiled of several small stories. I'll forget it anyways by the time you'll it comes to it. it. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then as you're reading it, you'll be like, ah, oh, this sounds familiar. Probably not even. It's just as good the second time around. Okay. Anyway, or the third or the fourth. So basically, you have to die to get this flower because a dead person can pluck it. If you're a living thing and you touch this flower, it shrivels. Uh. And she didn't know that part of it. She just knew that it was very hard to find. And he was reluctant to agree to it, but he loved her so much that he said yes. So it's very sacrificial. 
And so one night, it was the darkest part of the year. He had been gone for 13 months. It was a little over a year. She wakes up to this breeze blowing through her chamber and on that breeze was a kiss and she woke up to the kiss. She was a maid and she'd never been kissed before anything. And it was such a powerful kiss that she woke up really emotional and she looked over and she saw this desert flower which had this interesting aroma. I forget how he describes it, I could find that. months after his departure on the longest night of the year I was woken by a kiss my first kiss and my last fresh acai blossom fleeting as the flying ants flight my heart caroming around my ribs I sat up and reached for my lover but grasped only the night breeze opening my eyes I saw that the vase on the windowsill that had stood empty for over a year now bore a single bloom pale and round and shining its scent sweet as honey but with a note of decay. I walked to the flower, bent my face to its strange light, and breathed in the perfume of a corpse brought to me from another world by an unseen hand. And so then she knew that that kiss was him. When she touched the flower, it immediately crumbled into ashes. And so now, since she touched the flower, she killed it, but she herself cannot die. So she just wanders the desert. She eats, but she isn't full. She drinks, but She's her never thirds- satisfied. Never satisfied, yes, exactly. And so she spends the rest of her days wandering, looking for death's door and longing and oh mm-hmm. man and she's beating herself up how she treated him almost like she's caught in limbo living in this regret so if you want to call that a fable you can call that a I fable I mean there's a hell of a lesson in that if you ask me there is a hell of a lesson in that but I want to go back and read how Keith Miller describes her versus how he describes him do you want to hear her first or him first you choose Tandra So she tells Pico, I'm hideous compared with my loveliness as a child, as a damsel. My skin pure as milk, eyes limpid as those of a lamb's, the color, as you see, of the sky at dusk. My lips delectable as candied rose petals, voluptuous as velvet. My breasts, ah, my breasts were legend in their time. Soft as rotting pears, the nipples purple as plums. Even as a child, my walked fueled men's fevers. Nightly salted their sheets with inadvertent white filth. Despite the curses of their wives, they gasped as I passed in the streets and gnawed their own forearms to keep from screaming. Painters squandered their savings to sketch me fully clothed. Poets and musicians camped outside my window, hoping to glimpse a star of flesh through a crack in the curtains, dreaming that a note of theirs or a phrase might one day catch my fancy, merit my glance. That made <laughs> quite me sweat. sure of herself. <laughs> yeah, she is quite sure of herself. She's short with people because she's so used to her everyday routine being disrupted by these suitors that she just gets a little aggravated. It's like she's full of herself, but it seems like she has... Tired of it? Yeah, she's just tired of it. And that's why she fell in love with this man, because it was more than a sexual attraction. It was an in-depth kind of attraction. Correct, yeah. uh-huh. And so then it describes him... Among her admirers was a young florist, remarkable as far as I could tell, only for his extraordinary ugliness. He was skinny as a hat stand, the vertebrae like knuckles in his neck. His nose was a weapon, blunt and enormous, an ill-carven club. His mouth off-center, his eyes bulbous as an insect's. He walked with his feet aimed inward as if to greet each other. (laughs) 
head sagging on a scrawny stalk, though his eyes peered about uncannily alert as though some other being used his body as a mode of transportation. I think it paints quite a picture. <laughs> yes, it does. I like the story to it. There's more to people than just their looks. I like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind like of like a forbidden that, love. Yeah, well, it's yeah. also like that typical, again, high school. You're friends with the cool people. You have somebody that you think is really cool, but you don't want to be friends with them because it taints your image with the cool people. And then you lose out on potentially a really good friendship. I think it really is warning against vanity because in the beginning, she was very vain and she was very concerned about being vain and how she was perceived. And then she met him and she was given the opportunity to see outside of the vanity, but she chose it in the end. And that is what she's paying for. I think it is a fable because nobody wins in that situation. No. He died getting yeah. one kiss from her and they're eternally separated. She cannot even meet him in death. I also feel like it's a lesson too on the other side. She's pretty and she's the thing that everybody wants. She seems unattainable and so everybody wants her because of that. So he's in this pursuit of her and at the beginning, yes, she was meeting him there. She was entertaining it because she wanted it too. But then when she started treating him ill and then he stopped coming around, then he chose to come back around. Oh, she's pretty. She batted her eye at me again. I'm going to go ahead and go the whole way for this flower that's going to potentially kill him and then of course that does happen all because of a beautiful girl who didn't treat him all that well <laughs> yeah that's, that's an interesting point he was respectful of her space he realized that things weren't the same and so he just left her alone but he was still always on the outskirts he was still there always I, dreaming always hoping always wanting mm -hmm. never actually mm -hmm. accepting that it wasn't a possibility right i think very hopeful and previously it would talk about how whenever she addressed him he would blush and cast his eyes downward because he felt unworthy of this woman's attention mm -hmm. but then when she comes up to him and looks him in the eye and says do you want to kiss me he looks her in the eye back and says yes before they hadn't had this intimacy in so much mm -hmm. of this cerebral or intellectual intimacy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but now that they had had that it he humanizes her yeah exactly he knows her in a way that nobody else does and that is so powerful but i'm almost angry at her and if i was him i would be angry too because she tugged him along i think he realized that he said yes and he was very firm in that but when she asked of him bring me this rare flower and said what the flower was he knew what that meant she didn't she didn't know that it costs a did life did he know that she didn't know that yes he did they would talk about flowers mm -hmm. when they were together she asked him what the rarest flowers were and he named all these rare flowers and then she said are there any more and he's like well there is this one why did he not want to tell her is there a story to that or? i'm not sure i don't know if it was a self-preservation or just if like it holding the cards to yourself maybe he just knew the only way they could be together was if he completed some impossible Task. Oh, like a foreshadowing? Like maybe he kind of mm -hmm. knew that she would want it and so he was keeping it close to the breast? Well, like he and didn't if, want her to have all the cards to ask him to do this? To keep her maybe ignorant of it, to keep her from feeling... Like she like wanted it? I think he didn't tell her the full consequences because if she knew the full consequences, she would never approach him and ask him of that. She shouldn't agree, be asking him. But she still did. I really don't know if it was out of malice because she said she wanted to talk to him again. And so that's what she came up with. But she had to have known that that would have been really hard, whether or not he would have died or not. That's kind of what I'm thinking. In this story, the flowers represent a little bit more. They're like a commodity. I hate the idea of a material thing being what wins over somebody else. That in and of itself is more feeding into the vanity of everything. The taking for what it's worth. You want me, I want you. We don't really match. The society isn't super cool about it. We want to be with each other and we like 
each other and we're just gonna take it for what it's worth instead of you have to go and get me this beautiful piece of thing to show me your love. I think it speaks to her character because she quite literally chose her own vanity. That was more important. The flower, the image, the symbolism to the people, to society was more important than him to her. Oh, and even going back to your fable, it kind of ties into it a little that way because... Like the honey and... Mm -hmm. Or even going back to the bird in the hands were two in the bush. Yeah. She's trying to... Um, Win over everybody else and have him. it all. Yeah, have it all. <laughs> to have him, but also saved face in so much that her image is preserved. So her way of doing that is to give him this difficult task. She doesn't just realize how fatal that difficult Which, task is. In reality, if you just let go of the image, you're going to be significantly happier anyways. And you get the thing that you were wanting. Let go of that mask. Come into yourself more. Well, and this is all outside pressure. If you take away the town, what the town stands mm -hmm. for, and the people in that town, mm -hmm. and you have just them... It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't have mattered. They would have blossomed together and been together and been happy with them. She never would have driven him away if it hadn't been the people exactly. reminding her, you're too beautiful for him, and if you like He's not him, good enough for you. you are pretty much just as ugly as he yeah, is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They, and she that's was, what she was worried about. Her beauty was being cheapened, and that took a blow to her pride. It's a real quick little thing, but this is them sitting in maybe their parlor room. I doubt he was talking to her in her chamber since she was a maiden, but they were talking about the rarest flowers, and she was prying. Are there any others? And he says, there is one flower, which my uncle told me of. He was basically an apprentice to his uncle, except he surpassed his uncle in skill. A fragment of a horticulturist's lore, which neither he nor any gardener alive had seen. And which flower is that? She asked. It is the flower that grows in the valleys of the country of death. And he would say no more, though I pleaded to know what that flower looked like, what its scent was. He sat down his tea and shook his head and then left to go wheel his cart back to his house or his shack is what it was. So he was withholding that detail from her, but that was even before... If you're a curious person, you're going to want to know what that flower looks like just because you don't know. Yeah. He won't tell you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it did fuel her curiosity. And so then, of course, they're still on good terms here. That curiosity is wielded the wrong way mm -hmm. when she approaches him and says, bring me that rare mm -hmm. flower. She doesn't know. So do you think it was like a misunderstanding? It's still unclear to me. <laughs> I'm glad you guys brought that up because now I'm sort of mystified why he withheld it. I don't know if he just thought it was unfit chat to speak about death like to a lady to a lady or, or he didn't want to seem like it was something that he couldn't do maybe it was a prideful thing for him he didn't want to admit it like oh if you're not a real horticulturist if you can't find a way to procure this like he didn't want her to challenge him yeah, kind that of could thing. be maybe that yeah. was i don't know he didn't want her to get interested in it and then be like i want it and then of course how could well, he, he say didn't know no his lady her. well enough you're being evasive about anything like that that woman's gonna be like i want to know more yeah <laughs> and it, it's true it did when people say you're out of his league or vice versa or things like that i genuinely hate that concept. There's not a leap or anything like that where you have to be on the same level of whatever to be able to coincide with a person and to be able to be with somebody. I'm trying to think of it in terms of flower arrangements now. <laughs> so someone's looking at these two people and it's just not an arrangement they ever would have made. But this guy also made very eclectic arrangements. So it's funny how he and this girl are this own flower arrangement. Well, it's like you take spices bouquet. in the kitchen and you think they wouldn't go together. When you cook it and you put it in there, it's amazing. There's just these certain things that bring out the best of another ingredient. People are the same way. I feel like if I don't have the level of respect for my partner that I do for my friends, I'm not going to be with them. It's an inclusive thing, but that's also, in my opinion, how you create a partnership that lasts instead yeah. of the fling. Because mm -hmm. I think the flings come from just the sexual compatibility and not the friendship. Lust. Infatuation, mm -hmm. absolutely that. Yeah, it's just the components of the sexual act. I think lust is more pursuing a dream than it is a person. Like, an idea concept. Yeah, mm -hmm. like I don't think it's about 
about that person anymore. I think it's more there's something in that person that pulls at a fantasy of yours. Maybe that person is really kind and you're an inherently mean person. So you're drawn to kindness because you want more kindness in your life, but you don't know how to be it yourself. You become the people that you surround yourself oh, with. Oh, you do. Mm -hmm. yeah. You very much do. When I want to be friends with somebody, it's because not necessarily that I want to use them for something, but I no. see their worth yeah. in my life too. We've got the kettle on again, so you'll be hearing <laughs> that. It's going to be in the background. Yeah. Pretty much going to be on in every episode. It's just going to sound like a fire. That's yeah. all. It's fine. Something like that. Do you want me to go ahead and read mine? Yeah. Okay. So it's called The Dog and His Reflection. A dog who thought he was very clever stole a steak from a butcher shop. As he ran off with it in his teeth, he crossed a bridge that spanned a small, still river. As he looked over the side of the bridge and into the water, he saw his own reflection, but he thought it was another dog. Hmm, thought the dog. That other dog has a nice, juicy steak. Almost as good as the one that I have. He's a stupid looking dog. If I can scare him, perhaps he'll drop his steak and run. This seemed to the dog to be a perfect plan, but as he opened his mouth to bark, he dropped his steak into the water and lost it. Be satisfied with what you have. Which I think is a really big thing because this society, it's really easy to always look at what other people have or what you want. I have a really big problem of if I had this, I would be happy. If I had X, I would be better. Or if this happened, I would be better. So the if this then statements are really dangerous. Oh, 100%. It kind of comes back to the grass is greener kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's normally not. Yeah. There's no reason to put all of your marbles in one basket to maybe have just this perception in your mind for it to equal that. Mm -hmm. Very dangerous. Although I am absolutely a put all your I don't put my marbles in a basket, put my eggs in a basket. <laughs> but I guess you could do it. I wasn't going to correct you. <laughs> Either way. They're both. They're both round. It's fine. Are they round, round and hard, okay? <laughs> hard boiled eggs. Uh, anyway, but I am more of the eggs in one basket as. I focus on one thing I like mm -hmm. to if, I, if like I'm able to. Yeah, I like to hyper focus mm -hmm. on something. Sometimes you just can't do that. I really give it my all in one area. But as far as putting eggs in one basket, do you think it's bad? I think okay, it's kind of a good thing. Here's the thing, though. I think that whenever it comes down to hyper focusing, sometimes you have to give your attention to one specific thing to be able to give that one specific thing the appropriate attention that it needs. Some mm -hmm. things need all of your attention to be able to be done appropriately. I definitely agree with that because when you're headed towards a goal, you can't just have all of these big goals. You're going to be so split. You're not going to give enough time and effort into that one thing. But on the flip side, you can have one big goal and have little smaller goals mm -hmm. as well. Well, I also think that it comes down to the concept of that fable of always wanting more. You have all of these goals. If you have one big goal that you're reaching towards, you get to that goal, buying a house. Maybe you think, I'm going to buy a house. And once I buy a house, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to fall into place. It's all going to come into works after that. And then you buy this house. It turns out things aren't the way that you thought. You build all of this excitement. You have this buildup for one specific expectation of one thing. And then you get the thing. And uh, you know what? Turns out it doesn't fix all your problems. Turns out and it wasn't the root of the problem. Yeah. And maybe even it creates more problems. So then you're not only back at square one, but you're kind of negative five steps. And you backtrack all over again. It happens. And I think that the yeah. concept of being able to fix everything with one thing that you do in your life. I'm so bad about thinking that, yeah. though. I still to this day know that it's not the correct term of thinking and I still try it. And that's where it really comes into that if this then that statement because if I buy a house everything's gonna be great it's gonna be perfect but you buy the house and it doesn't turn into that and then You're like oh if I just had a bigger house or yeah. if I just had this kind of thing yeah. or, or if, if this hadn't happened or yeah. and then it just turns into this if it's and buts where candies and nuts we'd all have a merry Christmas have you ever heard that term? Uh, <laughs> that is a very merry Christmas. <laughs> My aunt used to say that to me as a kid all the time every single time that I think oh if only this. So yes the dog is greedy 
and he wants to outsmart what he thinks is an opponent, which is really just his reflection. But then even beyond that, he is plotting. He's planning ahead on how he's going to get this. And then as it turns out, it wasn't at all what he thought it would be. Mm -hmm. He opens his mouth to grab at this dog and then his stake falls into the water. What's interesting is it's nice to plan ahead, but maybe be prepared for things. The worst case scenario. Yeah, worst case scenario, things don't always go according to plan. That's my biggest flaw of planning. I feel like I'm a minimalist planner and I love being around people that love to plan because I'm like, great. (laughs) I don't have to. I don't have to. (laughs) I get that. Yeah, because it stresses me out the most because it seems... all the things that can go wrong. I put all this time into planning something that didn't turn out at all the way it was supposed to because... All for naught. Right, all for naught. We planned this itinerary, but we didn't make our first checkpoint, (sighs) so... I feel like most of the time if I do trips, I try not to plan. Normally I have the most fun. I also feel like it's a don't put others down to get ahead kind of thing. I know that wasn't the main lesson in that fable, Mm -hmm. but he was trying to take away something else from somebody else or what he thought was another dog when it was actually him. Mm -hmm. And then by trying to be nasty and greedy and put somebody else down, he actually took away from his own self. Right. Instead of being happy with what he had, he desired what somebody else had as well. He can eat it too. Yeah. He even called... Stupid. Yeah, stupid. He called his quote opponent stupid. Mm -hmm. So he's like, ah, what a joker. I can totally get one up on this guy. So it's like a kick and a punch because he lost his stake and he just realized he he saw himself as one. And he was actually right. He he was stupid. He's playing that role where he's like, I want what I have, but I also want that too. And he thinks that he can have it both. Life is not that way. It doesn't work that way. And it ultimately hurt everyone involved. The butcher got hurt because he lost his stake. The whole story came from deceit. The very beginning. He He stole stole the stake. He didn't even earn it. He stole it. He kind of got what he deserved. He gave his own self karma. He didn't really deserve that stake from the very beginning. He gave himself karma because he had earned that consequence. Yeah, you earned it. You got it. A lot of the time you're less likely to look over at other people's things because it was yours. Not that there's anything wrong with anything being given to somebody. My mom, she's been listening to the podcast and our episode four, the fairy tales and the legends. She heard us talk about how some of us hadn't seen Gone with the Wind. Mm -hmm. And after the whole Snow White thing that Max had talked about, she mailed me Gone with the Wind DVD, Snow White. That is so sweet. Wizard of Oz, because we talked about it too. And then there's a bonus, 101 Dalmatians, which was just a... That's so sweet. That's so awesome. Yeah, so now I have no excuse not to see Gone with the Wind. I own it Max, I've not watched Gone with the Wind either, so it'd be a really well, fun date. Like, that would I'm be down. fun. I'm yeah. totally down. I'll, I've heard of I'll it. I'll bring my TV so we can all see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Insult. Called <laughs> out. Yeah, well. that's true. That's probably why Cooper always falls asleep. Because <laughs> he's, he's like, 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 so small, I have to yeah. squint. <laughs> he's like, I can't see anything. <laughs> Again, for you, like, I watched you long enough. This sounds so creepy. I think the more important lesson is, if you're listening to this, Amanda is watching you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) She's not wrong. If you feel like you're being watched, you are. It's Amanda. You better close your blinds.